0: Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. All right, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast, everybody. This is your host, Tom or Robots, and I'm here as usual with my good buddy, Sam n7 legend he is currently in orbit around some planet right now welcome to the show sam how's it going
1: yes uh ground control to major tom
0: (laughs) hey how's it going
1: had to had to plug that joke um but anyway i'm doing very well very excited about this episode that we have ahead of us i think this is probably uh the longest set of show notes that i've ever written for one of these episodes so not sure if that's going to translate into the longest episode wow but we have a deep dive to, to make
0: wow all right yeah there's yeah there's a lot here we've got 13 pages of notes um so man why don't we why don't we dive right back into this so last week we were talking about cerberus the three-headed dog of space and well no not exactly a three-headed dog of space but the origin of the the dark organization known as cerberus and i had realized at the time that that was going to be at least two episodes and it looks like this is going to be two, uh, like a two episode plus maybe thing right
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, as soon as I looked at the Cerberus, like I was doing a little bit of research and I was looking at the codex entries and I was looking at the uh, the wiki as well. And I just took one glance at the wiki and I was like, this is going to have to be multiple episodes. (laughs) There's no way that we're going to make this into one. Right. Um,
0: All right. So uh, where do we where do we start off? Where do
1: where do we go? So. Uh, we last talked about the origins of Cerberus, right? That was last, uh, I wanted to say last week, but it was last Wednesday. Um, so last episode, we went over the origins of Cerberus and how they really made a name for themselves. But although their reputation spread, uh, they still very much operated in the shadows. Right. Okay. So that's, that was, um, something I
0: want to ask you about. Um, if regular people on the extra net knew Cerberus was responsible for some of the attacks, Then didn't the Alliance also know like didn't they they definitely knew about it then. Right. So why didn't they just hunt them down and eliminate them?
1: So the the short answer is, you know, as we in the U.S. should know by now, launching a weed out operation against a faceless enemy just really isn't that simple. Um, And let alone when they have the funding and the cyber know how to remain plausibly unconnected to everything else yes, plausible um, deniability sure Yes. Long answer. We didn't touch on this too much last episode because it's it's because they're so skilled at remaining untraceable, Um, which goes back to how their entire organization is structured. So I think it's helpful if we stop referring to Cerberus in the singular, because Cerberus isn't really one entity. It's a syndicate of private intelligence agencies, biotics laboratories, engineering and scientific research teams, and perhaps most importantly, lucrative front companies. For those who are unfamiliar, uh, a front is a business designed to look like it has a normal functioning purpose. But in in reality, it's really only there to cover illegal behavior for its owners. Um, Money laundering is common through fronts. And it's presumably one of the ways that Cerberus remains undetected. Okay. In fact, They're so good at this money hiding game that investigators looking into them have referred to Cerberus as the, quote unquote, elusive empire. Led by an Um, elusive man. Led by the elusive man (laughs) for elusive reasons. (laughs) They're so elusive. Someone, one of the writers really loved the the word elusive. Um, And I get it because in case we were wondering what elusive meant, I believe it's meant to be a play on words. There's elusive with an E which means you know you can't catch them they're Mm -hmm. very they escape very easily um and then there's elusive as in illusory which would mean deception you know deceiving a lie Uh, so i believe the elusive things like the elusive empire the elusive man it's all a play on words
0: yeah that makes sense i hadn't thought about it as being sort of both at the same time without them specifically stating that that's interesting so I guess there's just a, like a lot of different moving parts.
1: Yeah, yeah, and each part doesn't really know what the others doing inside Cerberus. So, let me explain. Um Cerberus is broken up into cells with each cell operating with zero clue what the other cells are up to. In other words, you know, if we're looking at a hierarchy with like the CEO up here and then like the bottom guy on the totem pole down here, um, then a, a Cerberus cell has no horizontal communication. It's, it only has communication from the top to the cell which in this case is, you know, the top is the elusive man. So this is, uh, so that in one, in case one cell is compromised or exposed or found or destroyed, it doesn't really affect the rest of the syndicate. Mm-hmm. Each cell is, is led by an operative, uh, of course, and who is the only person who corresponds directly with the elusive man. Um, so that's like, Insane micromanagement. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because that means that the elusive man has his hands directly in all of the cells coordinating what each of their projects is doing directly. Um and this might sound familiar to those of us who are fans of organized crime shows, you know, the whole independent cell thing acting without knowledge of each other's actions, because it's how organized crime like the mafia evaded police and culpability for a long time mm-hmm. do you think they have microsoft teams i think that they have uh they probably have something very similar but it's like installed in their brain uh-huh, and they right. can't uninstall it and so when you get a call from the elusive man it just keeps ringing and ringing and ringing he just doesn't, and you can't
0: ignore it it doesn't hang up he just he's just sitting there like this like leaning forward with his hands kind of like like in a mr burns pose where his fingers are like touching each other and he's just i'm waiting I'm waiting. That's yeah. <laughs> how so you pick yeah, up. He's,
1: yeah, he's sipping his uh, his uh, bourbon or, or cognac or wh- what? What mm-hmm. would he drink? He he seems like a a fancy guy. Maybe brandy. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a brandy. Yeah, I could sipping I could a brandy that. with um with a cigar. Yeah, and he's just thinking like, when is this fucker gonna pick up? Yeah, um, <laughs> you will pick up. You will pick yeah. up. Yeah, so, you uh, will pick up, or else you will be annihilated. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So this is like this is like a huge scale and a lot of micromanaging. I uh, how would I mean, we're talking like this is like a galaxy wide at this point. How what kind of scale are we talking about here? How would one person handle this?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, it it is a lot of micromanagement and it seems impossible for one man to handle. Right. And yet somehow the elusive man does it. (laughs) There are supposed to be 150 Cerberus operatives in 2185 at the time of Mass Effect 2 and they're all spread out all over the milky way from omega to the citadel almost every major spaceport trading stop colony settled system you name it has either an operative or a cerberus informant only two places really don't have cerberus coverage uh when it comes to their intelligence and that's the migrant fleet and most uncharted worlds and and Um, his mother's house <laughs> he just he stopped she talking just, to her a long time yeah, ago. She won't let
0: one in. She, he just—they
1: don't even argue about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. She didn't show up to the wedding. It was a whole big thing. Um, <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> just, <laughs> she, she's the she's the one the one person that he just cannot win an argument with.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it, and actually, yeah his his mom problems are the the reason why he becomes a total dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so. Anyway, the, the migrant fleet in most uncharted worlds, no coverage there. So that leaves a big blind spot for the elusive man. Um, and, but with, but still, you know, 150 operatives and countless informants and contractors and sympathizers, Cerberus's reach is understandable. They even have people on their payroll inside the alliance. And that's not really counting everyone who may sympathize with them, like I said, but are not directly paid by Cerberus. Mm. My, my guess is after the reaper invasion starts and the cat is really out of the bag there, the recruitment goes up because that whole, the Alliance can't help you. They're bought out. They're in on it. They're, you know, they're placating the aliens. That kind of messaging mm-hmm. would really resonate during a time of, of, of a, a massive crisis. Right. Um, I, at least I'm, I'm speculating here, but it has in history.
0: Yeah. Uh, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I I mean, let's stop to think about the elusive man's original manifesto, uh, right? A great genocide against humanity is coming from an alien race. Uh, And so when the Reapers invade and start killing everything and everyone, he probably looks vindicated, like Mm -hmm. he was right all along. to the majority of the population anyway, who by the way, doesn't know what the hell is going on. We need to keep this in mind. You know, when we play mass effect, the majority of the population on all of these worlds, not just earth, but Thessia, Palavin, they don't know what the hell is going on because like, they don't even know half of what Shepard does. Everything that Shepard knows is like the highest level of classification ever. (laughs) So, so most people, this is like a blind side out of nowhere. Right. Well, speaking of
0: like classification um, with with the elusive man having to m- basically manage all of these individuals himself, there's got to be a lot of communication going back and forth. Right. So how does that communication not get intercepted or leaked
1: Well, you know, yeah, they could. And in some cases they do. Um, Cerberus had their own code, like think of an Enigma code, uh, where they would bury messages inside of extranet broadcasts. Um, Think Mm. of like, if I was trying to communicate something to you with subliminal messaging inside of a YouTube video, Um, according according to the codex, these messages could range from troop movement orders to even all the way to instructions to financiers to direct money into specific Cells that were working on specific projects.
0: Ah, financiers, financiers. I bet they're all French. Oh, such a fancy word. Finance, financiers. We are here to do the money laundering. We are the financiers. <laughs>
1: <Probably>. <laughs> they, and you know, money is say. a money is a big problem. Uh, well, it's a, a a big priority rather, not problem uh, for servers yeah.
0: Well, we're going to get more into the money side of it, but we've got a mid break to do. And man, that that this half of the show feels like it just blew through, man. Yeah, we're just we're just yeah, getting, know. we're just snapping through these show notes, man. This just we're just clearing this stuff. Maybe I need to insert more jokes. All right. We'll be right back.
1: Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign and this station is mine. I like the sound of that.
0: We will see you, Starside. All right, so here we are in the middle of the show, and we have we have a new Shepherd tier patron to thank for our weekly Sh- Shepherd tier thinking of patrons that we do every week, including the rest of them. So, thank you to Blaze, Freezer, Pipe Man, Sovereign, and Stagger and Stumble four shepherd tier patrons. Thank you to all of you guys and thank you to all of our patrons. All 43 of you. Thank you to everybody. You guys are amazing. Thank you for supporting the show. If you have been enjoying the show, if we're helping you get through your workday, your commute, your workouts, your money laundering, anything that you do during the week that you get time to, you know, listen to podcasts while you do, and you want to help us out, then go check out patreon.com slash mass effect lorecast. There are now t-shirts and stickers as a part of this. Just scroll through the list of recent posts. You'll get down to the images of those on the patron.com slash mass effect lorecast site. And you can check those out. And um, if you aren't able to help support the show financially, you can always tell a friend or leave a rating and review. Those are helpful as well. And, um, you know, we really, really do appreciate it. Sam, our patrons are the best. What do you think? Awesome people? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. uh, And, you know, I've I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of my favorite um, parts of this entire lore cast is the end of the month episode that we do uh, where I get to talk uh, with the, with our patrons and of course they decide the topic of what we're talking about every month. And, um, so I, I, Of course, I love meeting them, but I also love seeing the perspectives on this game that maybe I have never even thought of. And the lore is so massive and so diverse that there's so many perspectives out there that we have not even covered yet. Um, And that being said, you know, if if we've if we have covered a topic, but we didn't include a perspective that perhaps you think is noteworthy, please don't hesitate to send us an email or send us like, you know, a note in the discord if you're part of the discord. Yeah, tag us on Um, the discord. Yeah. Yeah, or, or even Twitter. Uh, find us on Twitter and then just tweet at us. Uh, and you never know, you know, if 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 one of us reads that and it's just a really compelling point, I will do my best to put that in one of the shows and credit you. Absolutely.
0: And speaking of crediting people, we have a new review from Soost Mouse from the U.S. who writes, absolutely love it. Five stars. I'm brand new to the Mass Effect universe and blew through all the Mass Effect legendary and needed more luckily there's a podcast for that i'm already playing through my second run through the trilogy and i love how this podcast draws parallels between real life and the game there's just so much detail from the games and i'm so glad you guys are exploring the vast lore don't be slamming any asteroids now and keep up the great work guys wow wow oh man oh man um speaking of i uh um, I've gone back. I've restarted Mass Effect Three. I I couldn't play Satan Shepard anymore because it was very depressing doing uh really being a really mean guy. Um, so remember we talked about this a little bit. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, I can't get my I can't get my freaking Mass Effect Two saves back because they're never going to come back. But I tried to recreate my Mass Effect Two character as best I can and then do the. Um, do the little intro thing making the same decisions from 1 and 2 as close as I could and I can't get it perfectly but I got as close as I could because I was like well maybe I can just try to pick up where I left off so I've done that I've restarted again and I'm going to try and get back through and maybe that's going to feel close enough to my original playthrough the one that I love the most to make it feel legit because that's I feel, I've realized that that's why 3 really wasn't jiving with me because that's the playthrough that really felt like canon to me
1: that makes sense that that totally makes sense um and i think a lot of listeners and a lot of mass effect fans can probably relate that way i think the first playthrough always feels canon um yeah and actually your first playthrough did you play with the dlc no no so this is gonna be a lot different actually for you Uh, and i'd I'd heavily encourage maybe if you don't do all the dlc in mass effect 2 you have to do all the mass effect 3 dlc because they're all so critical to the story right right yeah
0: yeah i i well maybe i did no you know what i might i might have i might have i don't remember uh it's been it's been so long that i don't remember on that original well, playthrough, I, if it was out, I don't think it was out yet. I think it probably. Everyone wasn't.
1: knows. I that did as much content Leviathan as I DLC. could,
0: but I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I don't. It wasn't. It wasn't out yet when I f- played that first playthrough. So, yeah, I don't think it was out yet. But anyway, that's where I'm at. Um, but yeah. But anyway, thank you to thank you to everybody who helps support the show. Uh, whether it's selling your friends or on on Patreon, thank you to everybody. You guys are the best. We've got to get through. The rest of the show. So let's go. Spit it out. Or are
1: you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir.
0: Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. So you mentioned that Cerberus sends secret messages to their presumably rich backers, their it is where the heck do they get the cash to fund all the operations and personnel and stuff? You said you, they've got these like front businesses and stuff. So, where does all this come from? How does this work?
1: So this is this is one of my favorite questions in Mass Effect because to me it's it's still a huge question mark in in the games, but we have some general ideas. We know that by twenty one eighty five, Mass Effect two, uh, Cerberus pulls in several billion credits per year, and likely more in direct resource acquisition, like stealing stuff. You know, um, we know that this is because it's told to us, uh, we know this because it's told to us that the Lazarus Project took about 4 billion credits and essentially all of their projects were suspended during its duration because of the heavy toll that it took. So we have a rough estimate of their yearly revenue. We also know that Cerberus has several front corporations that funnel money directly to the elusive man. And it likely has investments in companies that supply the alliance, meaning as the alliance grows, so does Cerberus. And you remember what I said about Jack Harper's message resonating with a large portion of humanity? Um, Well, it, it turns out that there are a lot of sympathizers, including the galaxy's one percenters. Wealthy members of the Alliance Military-Industrial Complex have been sending credits and resources to Cerberus privately. They also may or may not use their official positions to benefit Cerberus. And I wonder what that would look like. You have Alliance Military-Industrial Complex members, perhaps CEOs, of some of these arms manufacturers. Han Kadar, uh, you know, Elcos Combine, that kind of thing. Um, primarily human ones, obviously non-human ones would not want to fund Cerberus. Um, so <laughs> yeah. maybe never mind on the old cost combine, but <laughs> you have all of these, you know, arms makers and arms manufacturers and Alliance military industrial complex members, uh, that are sending money to Cerberus, if not supplying them with goods directly. And what would that look like in real life? Have we seen something like that, like on that scale? before Uh, on that on that scale I don't think that we have seen something on that scale that has been (sighs) something where multi-billion dollar corporations are funding a shadow black ops organization which challenges the authority of any nation
0: I mean if if it's happening then I mean it's uh, I don't know that we're even aware of it I mean this is in like like this is like super out there theoretical world, you know? Right, we're getting into the Freemason right, uh, right like, sector, right, but, right. I mean, there's definitely the like military-industrial complex, which is, but that's that's clearly we're aware of that, you know, like that that is the government. <laughs> right
1: yeah <laughs> but yeah we are we are well aware of that thank right. you to dwight heisenhower for that one um, <laughs> but right. uh, switch in bed says stark industries That's a, <laughs> i think that might be a good comparison in like it, it's like the the opposite stark industries
0: yeah um, yeah but even like stark industries uh, that i mean that was the military industrial complex that was like stark industries is an example in the marvel universe of wealthy industrialists working with the government and also other, you know, people around the world, other governments around the world to sell weaponized things, you know, weapons, vehicles and all sorts of things. Um, but a shadow government version of that. I don't know that we're aware of of that.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that we are either. So it, it makes this whole idea very interesting to me. Right. It makes this idea of that they have not just sleeper agents but like these people aren't really like controlled or indoctrinated they're just rich individuals with their hands and their and the means to control some of the galaxy's most prolific you know uh, weapons manufacturing plants and and other things like that and they are willfully involved in this arguably treasonous venture
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. um, Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, we're moving into like this, like dark future kind of stuff here. I mean, this is almost cyberpunk in a way. This idea that uh, the wealthy, the the top 1% is able to challenge the wealth of nations and make decisions that rival the power of nations because they have the money and the freedom to do so. That's kind of where this is.
1: Yeah. And I think... Honestly, I think that the only thing separating us from that is a charismatic leader, um, which is pretty scary if you think about it. Uh, but especially with the rise of of, of people—I don't know if you've seen it, but I have—the rise of people who are almost including their corporate identity above their national one now. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. which is scary, and it's definitely applicable to Cerberus because. Of the people who don the Cerberus uniform in Mass Effect, there are so many of them that would, you know, obviously they'd, will, they'd willingly die for Cerberus, but they truly believe in what Cerberus says is the cause, um, and they believe in it more than the Alliance. They believe, and, mm-hmm. and Jacob even talks about this in Mass Effect 2. He left the Alliance because he thought that they were inept. He thought they were ineffective uh, at actually solving problems, which is totally buying into the elusive man's uh, you know, rhetoric and ideology there. Um, right. But it works on Jacob, and he gets Jacob to defect from the Alliance and join Cerberus. Jacob also says it didn't, it didn't help that they paid way better. Right. Isn't,
0: and this is kind of a side tangent though. Like once you're off in space, once you're off the planet, aren't these basically your nations in a sense? Like you're not physically bound to a location. So when you're on, if you're, if you're on the planet and you have to live in a specific place, right? Then you're living in the United States. You buy a plot of land or you're renting a specific place. You're tied to a location. You are you become a citizen of that location. Right. You're in the United States. You're in a, a country that you you're in. Right. That's that's your location. That's everybody who lives there. But if you are off world, especially if you are not tied to a specific planetary location, if you are transient, transient, you're you're part of a crew on a spaceship then you are part of that crew. That's your home. That's your location. Whoever that crew is, you're part of that nationality of whatever that crew is. For as long as you're part of that crew, if that crew is tied to Cerberus first, then isn't doesn't that become your nationality in a sense?
1: Yeah, I'm getting like strong pirate vibes here. Right, um, right. right. Like, does it
0: really matter? Because you can go wherever you want. It's 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 very piratey. It's very um, almost gypsy like in that you aren't necessarily tied to a specific location anymore. So why does it matter?
1: Yeah, um, I agree. I agree completely. And I think for that reason, Cerberus probably a, a, draws a lot of people who are looking for a purpose in life. Right. Mm-hmm. They're looking for somewhere to belong, um, which is not uncommon among extremist organizations. In fact, extremist organizations prey upon those kinds of individuals. And um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised that Cerberus has that draw for that demographic of people. I think I would be interested to see fictional demographics on if Cerberus, if most of Cerberus' uh, personnel, if most of their ranks were actually made up of spacers, of people who right. literally just lived off-world their entire lives. Right. Or
0: or if you were on a world or on a ship working for the Alliance, but you didn't necessarily agree with their ideology, what does it matter if you don't identify yourself as part of the Alliance anymore? Like, does that really affect you? You don't own land in the Alliance. You know what I'm saying? Like you work for a company that is part of the Alliance. So you pay your taxes or something, but it's not like it's, there's there, you're, you're, you're a step removed from the need to like, your roots aren't as heavily connected due to the fact that you are, you're more mobile, I think. I don't know there's there's something there that makes it just easier to change nationality is no longer as important as the ideology you connect with i think there's something there's something
1: there i think people um even in our current world probably exacerbated in the mass effect universe because more and more of our lives are being lived online Uh, i think people can choose what their identity is Um, and that wasn't always the case before you know, but like thousands of years ago, society told you what your identity was. Um, you don't get to choose. Yeah. And now that's different. And and I imagine it's different for, in the Mass Effect universe. Um, but about the wealthy benefactors of Cerberus, you know, mm-hmm. we I mentioned that some of these military industrial complex folk may or may not have been using their official positions to benefit Cerberus. Well, among those in Cerberus's is pop- Spoiler alert, is Donnell <laughs> Udina. <laughs> I had to mute the mic there just for a second. I had to, <laughs> I had to burp. Anyway, <laughs> among among those in Cerberus' pocket is Donnell Udina, and who we know has had a long history in, in politics and becomes humanity's counselor to, this, to the Citadel. And you remember how I said the severity of the crisis that comes from the Reapers may be enough to push more people towards Cerberus? Well, it's revealed in Mass Effect 3 that Udino was moving money around for the purpose of which we don't know for sure. But after aiding Cerberus and their attempted coup, I think it's safe to, to guess why.
0: Yeah. Yeah. OK, well, that, that kind of becomes clear, right? So you have a shady extremist black ops organization and they've got rich backers and sleepy sleeper agents in the alliance. Right. That's great. <laughs>
1: Yeah, not encouraging. Uh, but we consider these things, you know, and we think about what humanity's richest individuals in the military industrial complex would do in the event of a total economic collapse. Uh, and then you couple that with the research Cerberus was doing into indoctrination and. It all starts to make sense how Cerberus become so powerful in Mass Effect 3 uh, from where we first meet them in Mass Effect 1.
0: Right. Uh, so speaking of Mass Effect 1, uh, where were they in Mass Effect 1? Because um, based on what we've talked about, they must have existed at that point, but they didn't play a major role in the games until later. Were they written into the lore later, kind of like the Drell, or were they always around in the shadows were they something like that, that that the writers had considered in Mass Effect 1 but they just didn't introduce them yet like how did that work out
1: So they were indeed there in Mass Effect 1. Uh, Some players may not have noticed or ran into Cerberus in the first game. If you only focused on the main missions, you probably missed them in Mass Effect 1 entirely. Uh, But I'm here to tell you that Cerberus's presence in Mass Effect 1 is notable and it shows decent amount of foreshadowing for what's to come in the trilogy. Um, The player can run into Cerberus in a number of side missions, including one on Earth's Moon. Uh, Hackett asks Shepard to help out in taking down a rogue VI at an alliance uh, at an alliance training ground on Luna. And after finishing the mission, the journal entry implies that the VI was sabotaged on purpose. In later games, it's revealed that the whole thing was actually Cerberus' attempt at making a controllable AI. Uh, in one of the final missions in Mass Effect 3, we find out, that the VI on Luna named Hannibal uh, was actually the basis from which Cerberus made Edie, and they took that VI and then they included remnants of Sovereign. Hmm. So they put they they put remnants of Sovereign, a Reaper, into a AI that they wanted to unshackle. <laughs> And they were like, well, we can control her. It'll be fine. It'll be.
0: That sounds totally fine. This seems like what's nothing will ever go wrong with this idea.
1: What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst
0: Uh that could happen? AI always works out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I see. Combat Vet says in chat here, uh, Cerberus was a lazy writing excuse in Mass Effect 2. In Mass Effect 3, there were a lazy cannon fodder to shoot at because writers couldn't be bothered. Now, I couldn't disagree more here. Uh, and we're going to get into why. I think that take is a little cynical. <laughs> um, but I think that there is definitive evidence in the games which would disprove that. And I I, I think that this is a good point because I think that the the fandom of mass effect is split into two different categories where one uh thinks like combat that does here that they were a lazy writing excuse and then the other sees that cerberus was developed from the very get-go um and we're gonna get into that and that's kind of why i'd like to harp on these quests that were done mass effect one because in mass effect one we don't see much of cerberus or, or do we? I think it depends on the player base. You know, how much did the player actually do in Mass Effect 1? Did mm-hmm. they focus and just, you know, streamline the main missions? Or did they go and take their time through all of the side missions, read all of those little, you know, notes and little data pads and things like that? How much attention did they pay? Um, and this isn't even counting the external media, by the way, uh, which I would argue is just as canon as the games. If Because this external media like the Mass Effect Evolution comic series, it's the origin series uh, of Tim, or I'm sorry, uh, Tim, the elusive man, uh, Jack Harper. I would argue it's just as can, uh, canonical because Mac Walters, one of the game's writers, worked on those comics, um, and so a lot of this external media you can't just just you know discounted it because it's not one of the games. It, it counts and it matters. And a lot of the research that we do from these episodes comes from that external media. We're not just taking information from the games. We're, if, if you hear something that you're like, wow, I never knew that. Chances are it came from the external media because the external media has much less of a following than the games do. But I digress. Um, Hackett asks Shepard to take out this rogue VI. Like I said, um, and in later games, we find out that the Rogue VI was Cerberus made. Uh, or I'm sorry, we, we find out that the Rogue VI uh, was likely the the result of Cerberus' doing, their meddling. Um, and then Cerberus makes Eevee. And there was also this gritty storyline in Mass Effect 1 with the disappearance of a rear Admiral Kahoku. Shepard can... Come start this mission. Actually, before I go any further, did you ever do this this side mission or is this gonna be news for you, Tom?
0: This is in Mass Effect 1. Um Rear Admiral. It would have been a long time ago. So uh go ahead. I mean, you'll describe it, it'll it'll come back to me if you do it. But it would have been this would have been like a decade ago. This would have been a long time ago. Because
1: when I replayed so, yeah. it
0: recently, I just mainlined it in order to get through it. I didn't play all the extra stuff again.
1: And that's, that's the case for so many people. Um, and so that's, I don't normally include step-by-steps of the quests in the games because like, like in these shows, because like we've said, I don't think that the, the, these, these episodes should be a replacement for the game. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they should be a supplement. So, you know, just something to add on. Um, so we don't normally do this, but for this, for this episode we are going to walk through this storyline with Rear Admiral Kohoku because it is so relevant.
0: Also, Rear Admiral sounds like one of those positions you get when somebody doesn't like you and they just kind of want to you know, they're like, "Well, we got to give him a promotion. All right, make him a Rear Admiral." <laughs> rear Admiral. Stick
1: stick Kohoku in the rear.
0: Stick him in the give him a, make him a butt admiral. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that'll teach him yeah he didn't well it's funny that you say that because that <laughs> it's not like politics is is absent in um mili- in the upper echelons of military off op- you know the officer corps oh yeah it's not it's very it's, very, no, very very much no, there. It's not
0: no i know i've i've had some friends over the years who have served in the military and, and some very high up and they some of the stories are wonderful <laughs> not not to be in them but to hear about them <laughs> but anyway go on
1: <laughs> yeah yeah. so so Shepard can come start this mission you know in a variety of ways um but it is by far one of the most intriguing side plots of the series in my opinion uh, as some players may recall there's a doctor on the citadel her name's dr michelle and she's extorted out of medical supplies by a guy named baines or at least a krogan who claims to have worked for baines and baines is a researcher hired by the Alliance who Michelle actually used to work with. Now, when you ask Captain Anderson, you can hear this and then you go to Captain Anderson, you hear, you know, Alliance, maybe Captain Anderson knows something about this guy, Baines. You go up to him and you ask him about Baines, and he gets super weird. He gets clammy all of a sudden, kind of like a, how the hell did you hear that name kind of thing? It's almost like you asked him about a prior lover. It's kind of strange. Um, but <laughs> he discloses that Armiston Baines. Disappeared and has been dead for some time. He directs Shepard to talk to a high-ranking Alliance officer, Rear Admiral Kahoku. Oh. So Shepard then uh, talks to Kahoku, and Kahoku tells him that tells him or her uh, that Kahoku had a team of Marines searching for Bane's after Bane's disappeared. They found his body aboard a ship with nothing else, and then later that group of Marines disappears too. Uh, so it, it gets like more intriguing. You're like who, like a whodunit kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and you, you're on this trail and you, you, there's really few hints along the way until you get to the end. Um, and the Marines are found dead ultimately. Um, I believe Shepard finds them on an uncharted world uh, having been lured to a Thresher Maw nest by a fake uh, rescue beacon. So this is this happens a few times in Mass Effect 1 on the Uncharted Worlds. You find a fake rescue beacon and it's mm-hmm. a trap.
0: This, this sounds one familiar of, now. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, One of the times it's it's, it's a uh, it's a rescue beacon that's put there by the Geth. The other times, all of the other times besides that, I'm pretty sure, are all due to the same reason. Now, this could sound familiar to some players because the same thing happens to a colony on a where a team of marines were attacked by thresher maws and only one survived this is something that we only hear about through con through context through dialogue this isn't something that we actually see play out because it happens before the events of mass effect one commander Shepard, if you chose the sole survivor background is the only survivor of that thresher maw attack on Akuz. Huh. And if you didn't, if you did not choose the sole survivor background, well, then we meet the only survivor of that attack, whose name is Corporal Toombs. Corporal Toombs, we find out that he escaped death uh, from the Thresher Maw, only to be abducted and experimented on by Cerberus heavily. (laughs) Like, Like they really messed this guy up. And this also implies that Cerberus was behind that too. So I want to take a step back for a second and let's think about what this means for the series. If you chose Soul Survivor then your Shepard's story has been so insanely shaped by Cerberus from the very get-go from before even the start of Mass Effect 1 your Shepard was battling Cerberus' shenanigans. It's because of Cerberus that your Shepard's entire unit died on a coups. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's almost because of Cerberus, or it's because of Cerberus that your Shepherd almost died. Right, right. Like Cerberus
0: is almost the instigator of your Shepherd's story.
1: Like, oh my God, it's been you from the start. Right, like, right. Yeah. Right. So, so what about? I I, I, I digress.
0: Yeah. So, what about um, Kahoku's uh, team of Marines? They're found dead at the Thresher Mall.
1: Yeah, and and after Shepherd tells him. What happened to his team? Kahoku vows to uncover the truth surrounding this. Um, so from there, Kahoku buys information on Cerberus from the Shadow Broker, and then Kahoku also disappears. So it's like, okay, what the hell is going on here? Uh, during his investigation, Kahoku comes to the conclusion that Cerberus is a rogue black ops group that had broken away from the Alliance, and Bane's. Armiston Baines, the Alliance hired researcher, was actually a Cerberus agent. Now, I've seen Commander Shepard here mention this in chat. Commander Shepard here uh, is his name, <laughs> not the actual Commander Shepard. That would be sweet if we had him in chat. but um, <laughs> Or her. I would love to have Jennifer Hale in chat as well as Mark Meir. But Commander Shepard here on Twitch mentions in chat that the Alliance was a, or I'm sorry, Cerberus was an Alliance Black Ops group. And it makes sense why he'd say that, because this is the first instance, really, that we hear about the Cerberus origins in Mass Effect 1. However, later, when we find out that Cerberus is a set of cells, and it has been, this means that Koku probably thought he found the entirety of Cerberus. He thought Cerberus is really just this one entity, but it's not. And it's actually... I think that I think that Kahoku actually just found one cell. Mm. And he thought he found the entire organization. Right. And uh remember in addition to this, remember that the Alliance also there were sleeper agents and sympathizers in there as well. So It would make sense if he found one cell and that cell had no knowledge of the other parts of Cerberus. Mm -hmm. Why he would think that he found the entire organization, because that's where all of the communiques led. Right.
0: Yeah, it would be easy to to take a look at all their stuff and then assume that you've cleaned them out. Especially the lack of evidence of anything else.
1: It sounds like funding went from Cerberus, the syndicate to the cell. So the cell never used more funding than would be believable given their actions, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Right. Right. So people looking into this, like Hoku, other investigators, they would look at it, they would think, okay, they were doing these operations, they were doing this, this, and this. So they probably had this much funding. Okay. Given what we found, given the amount of people that we found, that's probably the extent of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There would be no way of understanding the full extent without getting to the top of the organization
1: yeah yeah there would be no way of knowing
0: yeah because it's not actually a web it's more of a it's i mean there's no web like there's no connecting between the actual you know i don't know layers everything just goes directly to the to the core I don't know how to describe that visually,
1: (laughs) but sorry, sorry. My, my, uh, my, my girlfriend is is cooking right now and we have have an instant pot and Uh I don't know, sorry, this is a really, you know, off topic thing. Instant pots are amazing, but when you depressurize them, they're pretty noisy and it takes a while. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyway, yes, Cerberus has this plausible deniability just set, in to their very structure it's ingenious really um and and kohoku you know soon after realizing what he has stumbled upon or at least thinking that he knows the extent of it immediately re- relays this information to shepherd and soon after relaying it kohoku is captured and killed um, so Shepard can continue searching for Kahoku, which takes the squad to a Cerberus research facility on Bintu, uh, where they, and Bintu is an uncharted world, uh, where they find Kahoku's body, and his body is covered entirely in needle marks. Hmm. And he's been imprisoned with some of Cerberus's test subjects. From here, Shepard tracks down what is thought to be the C- Cerberus's main base, but again, likely just the head of one cell. Uh, where researchers have experimented on people again. Um, You know, in all, we find out that Cerberus was experimenting with using Thresher Maws as weapons, trying to control Arachni, and turning people into Thorian Creepers. And for those who can't remember uh, or or never played Mass Effect 1, the Thorian was a sentient life form, uh, you know, tens of thousands of years old, on uh pharos which basically it was stationary and it was kind of like a plant but it would get organic beings like like humans and asari to do its bidding by releasing spores and then it could control their minds via the spores yeah
0: wacky stuff So um sorry sorry I'm still- t- getting distracted by the thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, sorry I'm st- I'm sorry it's still so, going. Um so it's it's interesting how it's just easy to miss these these parts. Um do we know do we know why they were doing experimenting on all this on all these different things?
1: Uh yeah, you know there is an interesting common thread here in how what servers was experimenting on and how they communicate. We know that the Arachni are a hive mind, each individual being connected. Uh, We also know that the Thorian creepers, the colonists uh, made into the Thorians thralls, we know that they operate as somewhat of a collective consciousness. They can feel each other's senses and respond accordingly. So maybe Cerberus was looking into advancing humanity as they say that they are, Mm -hmm. uh, through forced evolution. Uh, Giving humanity an ability to telepathically communicate uh, and live as a hive mind, I guess, would qualify as advancing humanity, right? Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like they're just seeing if they can do it.
1: It's it's almost like... Yeah, they never stopped to think uh, if they should do it right it's almost like
0: we can do it so let's try rather than should we
1: yeah it's it's definitely a control uh mechanism and we're gonna get into that in a little bit but you know the whole common thread thing that i that i am bringing up about the communication that's pure speculation that's not um that's not spelled out by the lore That's just somewhere I'm going with it because this is something that I've noticed is a commonality among all of their tests in Mass Effect 1, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, But even more than that, so here's here's what we know. The Elusive Man tasked this specific cell with seeing if they could control Thresher Maws. They wanted to lure them to designated locations and then use them as wild weapons. Mm Mm-hmm. It worked. Um, Cerberus experimented on Rachni and Thorian Creepers to use them as shock troops, basically all to gain more power. Um, But the thing is that you need to be able to control your shock troops. And we know Cerberus tried to control an unshackled AI resulting in the rogue VI on Luna going haywire, shooting its guns everywhere, killing a bunch of people. (laughs) And it and that ultimately led to Edie. So I think it's easy for the player to just play this and in, in a moment, you know, just kind of reflect and say, ah, oh, well, this is bad guy doing bad stuff. Right? Sure. Um, but this sure. all fits in with a theme the elusive man has going on, which is control. It has been his Jack Harper's and therefore Cerberus's mission and mantra from the very beginning. It's not some random ideology placed on him and Cerberus at the very end of the trilogy. We see this mindset of control in Mass Effect 1. We see this, you know, where that road leads with his insisting on saving the human Reaper in Mass Effect 2. And we also see how his story ends in Mass Effect 3 with his advocating for control of the Reapers. So I guess to to answer your earlier question, I actually think the writing has been remarkably consistent through all of these different staff and personnel changes that Bioware had among the years during the trilogy. I think that they set up all of the components and all of the foreshadowing that they needed in Mass Effect 1 for Cerberus to grow into what it was and the enormous threat it was by the end of Mass Effect 3.
0: That makes sense man so much uh so so shady so shady you know if i was to open up a uh motel in florida i would design it with a uh, palm tree and call it the shady motel
1: that's that's cerberus hq right there cerberus hq here (laughs) Um, in florida Yeah. Uh, Switch in bed on Twitch here says, <laughs> says uh, that name is funny every time I read it. Um, Switch in bed says the computer logs on the base in three, meaning I, I'm supposing that this means the Cerberus base in Mass Effect 3 mm-hmm. do add a lot to it. But I think it has a lot to do with, you know, I was dead for two years. These people brought me back and they're willing to fund the fight and still let me do things my way, which Which is is, interesting.
0: Part of why Shepard was able to, was willing to go along with them in Mass Effect 2. That's the conversation they've been having in
1: chat. Yes. Yes. Um, And that is a very valid point because Miranda tells Shepard in Mass Effect 3, you know, I wanted to control you. I wanted to put a control chip in you, but the elusive man said no. So it was really like this only one decision where the elusive man lets go of control. This guy who is so insistent on control that he micromanages cells across the galaxy. Yeah. And they can only talk to him and coordinate through him. And he's the only one that coordinates with the funding, you know, and then sends the funding out. Like he's doing all of the backend stuff by himself. He refuses to contract any of this stuff out because he needs control. Yeah. It's kind of, <laughs> and nuts. yet for, for this one like, thing, he lets go for this one thing. Yeah. He lets go. And it's the very reason that, The galaxy is saved, right? Right.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, at least he made that decision. Good job. Good job, elusive man. You did it. Thanks to thanks to the elusive man, the galaxy was saved. That's the uh, moral of the story.
1: Yeah. So I. (laughs) So that that all being said, I I do I do resist. You just
0: agreed that that was the moral of the story.
1: I, I do, I do, <laughs> I, because I want to retouch on, on something that we mentioned like 15 minutes or so ago, uh-huh. uh, that I resist this narrative that Cerberus was just made into a convenient enemy. I I do, because it makes sense how they rose to power. They had the writing there from Mass Effect 1, like like it was there chronologically in our own time <laughs> that all of the pieces were there. do with what they pleased you can't say that about other factions in the series like the blue suns like you know the the eclipse you can't say that for the other factions because in mass effect one the shadow broker is mentioned right because we're talking about secret shady organizations the shadow broker is mentioned but we don't see a lot of the execution of the shadow brokers operations we do see it with cerberus But it's reserved for side missions so maybe they knew where it was going from the very start maybe they didn't if they didn't that was a hell of a retcon
0: or maybe they just planted the seeds with an idea of like this will be somebody who becomes more important as we go a lot of times a lot of times writers do that you know they go if this doesn't develop into something else that's fine But at least we have a foundation here we can use later on if we decide to do so.
1: True. Yes. And I agree with that. I'm just remarking directly at the motivations. So, you know, motivations can be shaped as uh, as a lore goes on. But it seems Mm. that from the very beginning, control was central to Cerberus controlling people, controlling things. So I am uh, impressed by that.
0: So. Uh, to wrap this up, I forgot to mention that we do have a new contest uh, during the middle of the show. I, fr- I should have brought this up. I forgot to mention it. So, our our mysterious Shadow Broker... I should just call them the Shadow Broker, shouldn't I? Our mysterious Shadow Broker has uh, given me instructions on our new contest for this month. And here it is, friends. So, on the Discord, on the Mass Effect Lorecast Discord, I want you guys to share with us your special concoction it can either be a drink or food recipe so think like fancy mixed drink of your own design or food recipe for something mass effect inspired and give it a fancy name and some simple instructions so let's say you want to do like a spin-off of like a mass effect margarita and make it like a (laughs) vorcherita Or something then tell us what you would do how you would make it what you put in it and give it a fancy name the Vorturita what goes in it and then post it on the discord and at the end of the month we're actually before the end of the month we will pick uh two winners this month so you've got you got two weeks left and then I guess we're gonna do the 31st are we gonna do a
1: a uh, Halloween night show my gosh, we're going to have so many cool episodes coming up. So we got the 31st. We got the 31st, was, which is the patron chat. Patron chat. Halloween Should, patron are you chat. guys going to dress up for our Halloween oh. night show? Oh, oh. And then the next week we have in seven day. And seven in day. Se- November 7th is on a Sunday. And we're going to have an episode on in seven day. Are you guys so. going to
0: dress up? Are you guys going to dress up for that day? That would be amazing. So please jump into the Robots Radio Discord. Go into the Mass Effect Lorecast channel. And share with us your special Mass Effect drink or or food recipe. It can be it can be like a fun, like maybe you can make, I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there. Turian nachos. Well, who knows what goes in that? I don't know. Make it up. Put it in there. Give it a cooler name than I came up with. Maybe you'll be the winner. Come up with something cool. Give us a fancy, fancy food or drink recipe. And you can post actually as much as you want. Come up with some really cool ones. I don't care. Post, be as creative as you want, post a bunch of stuff in there, and the winner will get to join us for free without being a patron on the patron episode at the end of the month, which happens on the 31st. So do that. We'll pick a winner on the episode before the end of the week. So you've got two weeks to do that. We'll pick the winner on the 24th, and I will share this around on Twitter. We'll share this around on the Discord, make sure everybody knows. So there you go. Dexto cheese. (laughs) Got to be ooey gooey. So, yeah, everybody's chatting it up in there. Turian vodka triple and distilled with an emergency induction, induction port.
1: <laughs> By the way, about the, the drinks, I am very anxious to see what people come up with. I think if I see one that, that looks like it's pretty good, I'll probably try it out. I'd yeah. like to try it out. Like on the, on the, uh, patron on, that, chat. on
0: that patron chat show, you guys could like mix these up and try them. I mean, I can't do it cause it's a migraine trigger for me, but you guys could try it. Um, also if you already are a patron and joining us, don't be afraid to throw in your own stuff in there because if you win you can gift it to somebody else. So you get to choose if you're the winner who gets to join us. So somebody who isn't a patron, you can be like, here, I'm going to give it to this person and then they can join us. So. Anybody can win, so don't be afraid to, to jump in and if yeah. you got a fun, creative idea, throw it in
1: there. So, yes, what if it's kombucha-based,
0: Sam? <laughs> That's a no, good question.
1: No, no, I refuse. <laughs> um, I don't like kombucha, and I never will. <laughs> Portland will never convince me to like it. Uh, this is the hill that I will die on. <laughs> it's the kombucha hill. Um, by the way, about the drinks, I and many other Mass Effect fans across the fandom are well aware of the uh, list of Mass Effect cocktails that exists. It was published by SaveGame.com, uh, SaveGameOnline.com, and uh, just don't plagiarize. Don't plagiarize.
0: You can use it. Use those for inspiration. Yeah, but try to be yeah. try to be creative on your own. Um, you got anything else going on, Sam, that you want to share before we head out? And also, what's coming up next week? We got to talk about that. So,
1: too. yeah, of course, we've mentioned another secretive faction a few times this episode and I think we should expand on them next week. Of course, that would be the Shadow Broker. Um it is one person and yet he or she or it has built a... an entire faction around. The shadow broker so we are going to talk about the shadow broker next week it will again likely be multiple episodes because we we have our work cut out for us uh when it comes to the shadow broker they released an entire dlc all about it uh so that will be fun uh but that's what we got going on next week and then for me i of course am now i'm doing these episodes on my new pc Uh, there are still some issues be them uh Minor I don't want to jinx anything, but anyway still gonna work out some issues with that for now I think that I can stream on this PC. So I will be streaming um, Hopefully tomorrow and if I am streaming tomorrow, I will be streaming Mass Effect. So uh, I will be playing Mass Effect Um, We will be installing mods on this playthrough as we go Because I would love to see what the modding community has out there.
0: Are there any like spooky skeleton mods?
1: i don't know but i did see that tweet that you shared about the skeletons being dropped into red dead Uh, and that looked amazing somebody
0: hacked red dead redemption and started uh dropping in two headed skeletons into red dead redemption online which just attack players out of the blue which is terrible one don't hack games but if you are going to hack games (laughs) that's hilarious uh so anyway um well cool man uh Yeah, that's awesome. Please share that and I'll repost it and try to jump in if I can. And um, I'll be streaming in the mornings. I'm streaming every weekday morning now, starting around 830 a.m. And I will either be playing games when I can, or I will be working on things, editing podcasts, editing videos. I've got a new series of videos I want to start working on which will be, uh, I want to start doing, this is a fun idea. I want to start doing lore videos for things like either Mass Effect or Fallout or Elder Scrolls, but like lore for noobs is I think what I'm going to call it. It's going to be like a for dummies type thing, but it's going to be like, like imagine like Mass Effect, like, like, um, like you do like Turians, like Turian lore for noobs. And it's going to be like, what are the Turians? And it's going to be like, stupid videos felt like like imagine if raptor people if if raptor people were walking around on the planet and we ran into them and then decided to shoot them all up and then we were like oops sorry you know like that kind of thing right so yeah that's uh, i'm going to try that out and see if that helps uh grow some of these new youtube channels that now all of our podcast videos are on and hopefully i'll help grow the channels get more attention to our regular videos and also be fun for people to watch as kind of like a secondary thing for you guys. So hopefully that'll be fun. So I'll be working on some of that stuff during the week and <laughs> mean people. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, come, come hang out with me, twitch.tv slash robots radio, and then hang out with Sam when he streams. We'll be streaming when we can. I'll be in the mornings. And Sam, do you have like a regular time or evenings for you?
1: So I work what is basically nine to five PM Eastern time i'm in pacific time but more or less i'm going to be if i'm streaming it's going to be in the evenings uh it's going to be after 6 p.m eastern time uh if i'm streaming um and then thursdays and fridays more likely to be streaming those are my weekends so yeah i will try to stream every thursday friday for the next few weeks um but i have a friend coming to visit me here in a few weeks so we'll probably take a week off then Cool. Oh, and then, uh, by the way, just plug it again uh, in case anyone doesn't know. If you want to find me on Twitch, if you want to find me on Xbox or really any medium where I might be, just type in at in seven, the legend.
0: There you go. Yeah. You come hang out with me in the mornings and him in the evenings and otherwise join us on the discord. And that's a great way to plug into everything else. All right, guys. Thank you for being here. We'll be back next week. Until then, stay safe out there in that crazy, crazy galaxy full of all sorts of dark and shady people trying to control the universe. We'll be back soon. See you later. Thanks for tuning into the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at Mass Effect Lorecast at gmail.com. Are you an avid player of the Elder Scrolls Online and looking to take your game to that next level? Well, the Red Diamond Courier Podcast is here to help. I'm Bob Chichinski. And
1: I'm Dogbark24.
0: We are two experienced players aiming to help others learn and improve through in-game knowledge and references. From PvE. To PvP. And everything in between. There's sure to be something for you in the Red Diamond Courier. We We hope hope you check check us out. out. Thanks! Hey, I'm Pylon. And
1: I'm Doc. And if you've ever played an Elder Scrolls game, you've probably used UESP.net to help you find information about a quest, dive deeper into lore, or really learn anything about the
0: Elder Scrolls. But did you know we have a podcast too? Every week we bring you the latest in Elder Scrolls news, dig deeper into topics surrounding the game, and have a ton of fun while doing it.
1: You can find us on your favorite podcatcher by searching the unofficial Elder Scrolls podcast. Can't wait to see you all there.